Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm Jeff Cross, your host of Friends with Employee Benefits and HR. And I want to just, no intro here, I want to cut right to the chase because we're really excited to have Wendy Sherry, who's the market president for Cigna here in Connecticut with us today. Uh, Wendy, thank you so much for, for uh, joining us for this podcast. Welcome. Absolutely. Thanks. Great to be here, Jeff. So, Wendy, as you know, we were initially going to just talk about Cigna's efforts in the market to control cost and bend the cost curve and deliver a better experience to members and move to value. And, and we're going to get to that, but I think we'd be remiss in not first addressing the elephant in the room right away. And that obviously is the coronavirus, COVID-19. So, can you share some thoughts of some of the things that Cigna uh, has done and is doing in response to this pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I agree with you. This is certainly um, unprecedented. I say unprecedented on steroids um, as it relates to what's going on um, with COVID-19. And, you know, this is one of these moments where, you know, I've been with Cigna for 25 years. Um, so certainly it's a company that I'm very proud to be part of. And just the way in which we have navigated through this, this crisis is just another moment where I'm just proud to be part of the Cigna family. So, you know, there's every stakeholder um, has been impacted by this. And, you know, I'd, say I'd start with Cigna's response to our own employees. It's one of these things where you think about, you know, being on an airplane, right? First, put the oxygen mask on yourself and then help others. Uh, so yeah. we first needed to make sure that our own employees were well positioned, safe, healthy, et cetera, so that then we could uh, do what we do best, which is care for our customers, our clients, um, our providers, and our communities. So, you know, in a matter of days, um, like many companies, we moved everyone who was not essential um, home into, you know, home to a work at home. And, you know, that required, um, you know, tens of thousands of deployment of kits, that people, you know, technology kits, so people were set up to work at home. And that wasn't just here in the U.S., but, you know, this is a global epidemic, so we also needed to get our global teams um, home and safe. So it's just been incredible to watch um, how we've, you know, deployed our, our teams into their home offices, um, having to be incredibly flexible um, with work hours as people are now balancing not only their careers, but also being daytime school teachers um, for kids at home and caring for elderly people, all of that. Um, so that's been pretty amazing to watch. Um, but then I said, you know, after we were all sort of set, um, turning our attention to all of the other stakeholders that we serve. So first and foremost, making sure that our customers um, have what they need to get care, right? So breaking down every barrier to ensure that they have access um, and are able to get the care they need. So that's everything from waiving cost share on testing, yeah. diagnosis, um, and then you probably saw more recently uh, we went in and waived uh, cost share on treatment. Um, I'm proud that we were the first carrier out there to do that, and I'm even more thrilled to see that so many of um, the other large players in the market followed suit, um, because it really is about removing barriers across the country and across the globe. Um, and then what was incredible also was the lightning speed at which we deployed even more telehealth capabilities, right? So telehealth mm -hmm. has always been out there as an option, um, but yeah. now more than ever, right? That is, that's the primary place that people are getting their care, um, you know, COVID and non-COVID related. So we yeah. um, expanded 
quite literally overnight, um, reimbursement to our providers um, for all sorts of telehealth uh, services were made, you know, made that um, a viable option for folks. You know, on the client front, just like you, we're trying to do everything possible to provide the resources to our clients um, as they go through this and also be flexible in terms of their needs. Um, obviously, they have their own business challenges and struggling with, you know, paying their premiums and, um, and making sure that they are able to still provide coverage for their employees. So uh, doing a lot there. Um, and then, you know, lastly, on the provider side, um, you know, it has just been, you know, the, the word is heroic, right, in terms of what the provider community has done in literally remaking their entire organizations in a matter of days. And mm -hmm. as a result of having to remake their organizations, they've also had to essentially stop all of their elected procedures. And that's a, a big, uh, you know, reduction in, in their revenue. So they are yeah. trying to provide the care, but at the same time also ensure that they're able to make payroll for the people that are providing the care. So we've done a lot to um, help accelerate getting, you know, cash to them, removing barriers around, you know, prior authorization, um, you know, just trying to take away as much administrative burden so that they can do what we need them to do, which is get people well and healthy. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the, the impact to the provider community can't be understated. And there are practices that are, you know, almost entirely, you know, non, non essential or perhaps non emergent or critical where mm -hmm. the practice is all but shut down at this point. Right. And, and right. So, you know, we, we've got to think about that and understand that this is hard on this is hard on them, too. Um, let me Absolutely. ask you though about tel yeah about, about telemedicine and, and it might be too early, Wendy, to even for you to even have any numbers on this. But are are you seeing a spike in in telemedicine usage? Oh, hundred percent, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, again, we always had telehealth available um, for our customers. I would mm -hmm. say that you know the utilization, even though it's been around for many years, still is low. Um, yeah. I know that as part of all of everyone's value-based efforts, right, we all saw this as an amazing opportunity to help provide uh, care at a lower cost setting, certainly much more, more convenient in your home, in your office, wherever you are. Um, and, you know, in a way, there's a little bit of a silver lining in this COVID um, crisis in the sense that folks are really now starting to adopt this technology. Um, you know, I, I do believe, right, we will get back to seeing our doctors in bricks and mortar, but I actually uh, do believe that we will forever change the utilization on telemedicine, and that will be a bigger part um, of care delivery going forward, which, again, the silver lining, that's a good thing, um, because it is, it yeah. does provide for um, a more affordable um, option for folks. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. A hundred percent with that, because once people use so so most people don't ever even try it, as you mentioned, utilization has been historically low, but people try it and they realize how convenient it is and and effective and cost effective, and people who try it will then will then you know the theory is continue to use it and uh, and you're right, I think that that is you know one positive that will 
that will come out of all this. So for those of us who like to find the silver linings, that's definitely, definitely one of them. What about, yeah. um, what about Wendy call, just regular call volume to your customer service line? Are, are you getting a spike in that, you know? So uh, we did set up a uh, separate line for folks that are calling with COVID-related uh, questions, and we mm. did see some, you know, initial spikes um, in the volume there, folks just trying to understand, um, you know, the virus, understand their coverage policies, things like that. Um, so we'll, you know, we're obviously going to keep that line open um, for as long as we need to to keep that open. And then what we're also doing is providing, we just uh, launched a new symptom tracker or symptom um, tool that will help you to self-diagnose whether or not, you know, there is a stronger probability that you have COVID or not, and then, you know, whether or not you should seek medical attention, go to the emergency room, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, this is actually a new tool. It's one of our newer partnerships with Bowie Health. Um, so we actually are um, an investor there, a, a startup um, entity, and one of the things that Cigna has been doing through our Cigna Ventures Fund is finding some of these smaller startup disruptive type of companies and making some strategic investments in them, not only to help fuel the innovation, um, but also as a way to uh, you know, partner um, with our own innovation. So this is a great example of actually using that partnership um, in, in the middle of the COVID crisis. That's really convenient too, because especially as the allergy season kicks in, I, I, I anticipate a lot of people who are just, you know, getting their usual annual allergy symptoms, maybe panicking a little bit and, uh, and I don't blame them rightfully so. And so having a, a way to sort of okay, take a deep breath, what are the symptoms and go through a series of questions to, to maybe help decide, geez, is this, is, is, is there cause for concern or not? I think that's a great resource for people. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent agree with that. Um, I want to give credit where credit's due. I think, you know, as you mentioned, Cigna really led the market in terms of saying, Hey, we're not just going to cover the, the, the testing, um, uh, costs associated with COVID at a hundred percent, no cost share, but, um, but you know we'll cover the treatment of but similarly i think you guys were right out front in terms of uh even before it was mandated in connecticut you know considering extending uh, premium grace periods um, relaxing some of the underwriting guidelines on on, uh, enrollment changes and stuff like that and so uh you know we we and our clients certainly appreciate that too yeah no absolutely you know i'll tell you the theme is definitely uh do the right thing um, that has definitely uh, guided us through this uh, crisis to date, and it will continue to be sort of our guiding mantra. And um, you're right. Uh, so when the governor came out with the executive order, it was very much in line with what we were already uh, doing and offering. All right. Well, I don't want the, the, the whole podcast to be about coronavirus, but one more question yeah. on that. And, and you sure. may not have this yet. Maybe the actuaries aren't there yet. But But do you have... Uh, you know, an impact to pricing trend ballpark estimate of, of what this is going to do to to potential, you know, trends going forward. Yeah, so to your point on the actuaries are busy at work um, trying to de- develop some of those scenario models. Uh, so that's exactly mm-hmm. what's happening. 
uh, actually this coming Monday, I'm meeting with some of our actuaries to go through some of the initial uh, modeling tools because our intent yeah. is to actually get those tools out into the market so that we can uh, help folks better understand uh, the cost impacts, uh, both of the treatment, but then on the flip side of it, right, go back to what I said a, a little while ago, we're not seeing mm -hmm. as many elective surgeries, almost none, right? Um, really the only thing that's yep. happening right now are COVID-related uh, treatments, as well as really true emergencies, you know, people having heart attacks or people having babies. Like I said, you can't extend the baby. <laughs> um, so yeah, right. those uh, things are still happening. So, you know, you've got to look at both sides of the cost equation. And uh, we have some really smart actuaries that have been uh, busy uh, trying to do those modeling. And uh, I'm going to get an early view of that next week. And hopefully uh, uh, very soon we'll have that in the hands of um, our clients and our producer partners like you. Great. Fantastic. I know that we also have an actuarial team uh, that, that at One Digital, and they're and they're to your point. I mean, what we think is there'll be actually probably an initial maybe decrease in claim cost um, for 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 the average group, um, and then uh, and then maybe as things get back to normal and doctors' offices open back up and people start then getting back to those elective procedures that they had deferred. Um, mm -hmm. in mixing in the cost of the, the COVID treatments that then there'll be a, a spike starting late summer and into the fall and that the net impact over say a 12, 18 month period is going to be unfavorable, but, but perhaps, you know, not as bad as some people might uh, imagine it to be, but it's very right. fluid uh, as we know. That is uh, an understatement. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just everyone rest assured the actuaries aren't all home, you know, watching Tiger King and drinking whiskey. They're they're hard at work getting their exactly. arms around. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I've been doing, but as long as the actuaries yeah. are good, fine. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Wendy, I think it's important that uh, everybody understand that as we sort of chatted before we started recording the response to COVID-19 is really just a, a second, third job on top of your, your regular job. And that Cigna is still working on all the things that you were working on before the coronavirus hit. And specifically, you know, all of our clients, what they want is, is they want to offer competitive health insurance programs, but, but they don't want to break the bank. And you know, you and I know that the cost of health insurance is driven by, really, by the underlying cost of healthcare. Um, and to that end, we, the broker and consulting community, we're looking for for business partners, carriers that are are really tackling that underlying cost of healthcare issue. And so, I have a two kind of a two part question because healthcare cost is driven by predominantly two things: it's utilization. Uh, you know, how often are people utilizing services and then the, the unit cost of those services. Mm -hmm. So let's kind of talk about unit cost and what what are some of the things that Cigna is working on today? You haven't stopped working on it, to my point, uh, to to tackle this unit cost issue. Yeah. So uh, first of all, um, I appreciate the way in which you teed up that question and also acknowledging um, that we're partners together in solving what I'll refer to as an affordability challenge across the country. And you are spot on. Um, foot is not off the accelerator, even in the midst of a COVID crisis around driving better affordability 
for our customers, our clients, um, and our communities. And while, yes, there are two components, right, the unit and the utilization piece, um, you really do need to look at them together in many regards, right? That is part of the whole drive to um, a value-based um, orientation. Because if you just focus on one um, or the other, you are not going to achieve that end result of total medical cost. With that said, right, the unit of cost is still a really important part of the cost equation. And yeah. we are um, approaching every single contract negotiation um, with a goal of achieving CPI level cost trends. So if you kind of take a step back, um, this is another one of the, the moments of being incredibly proud of the work that we've done at Cigna. Um, for seven years in a row, um, we have been able to drive industry leading medical cost trends. Um, and we are not done. We actually set a very bold goal that by 2021, so that's next year, um, those medical trends will be at a CPI level. So that's something, um, you know, right now we're at about a 4% trend. That brings it down to somewhere that starts with a two. Now, you and I would also acknowledge, right, um, folks would like to see that sub-zero, right? But <laughs> what I'm looking at is the fact that we are continuing to drive progress to um, lower trends and certainly at least to get them in line with other consumer products. Um, and then I'm sure we won't be done then, right? Then we will start to drive um, towards those zero um, or negative trends. So every, every time that we sit down um, with a provider, it's how do we uh, get to CPI level rate increases? And then also really important, go back to you can't uh, break apart the unit and utilization in these conversations, every single one of our negotiations also strives to have a value-based component. So we walk out of those negotiations with both that unit cost component, but also um, a value-based program that helps to ensure that we are managing both the units and the utilization and rewarding the providers um, for achieving a better total cost outcome. And very importantly, the quality, right? Because part of the, any value-based um, arrangement, there is the cost component, but equally importantly, equally important, I should say, um, is, is the quality component. And, you know, the, the teams are doing a really good job um, in achieving those objectives. Can I ask you, I think what you said was that with virtually all of your contracts with all of your providers that you're mm -hmm. you're pushing to you're put you're pushing value and quality components yep does that mean it's not really just a, a you know a quote aco strategy or, or or a or a high value network strategy smaller narrower network that you're doing but but it's across the board that you're you're moving to those more value-based contracts Absolutely. So, you know, the, the term value base is a big umbrella and underneath that umbrella mm -hmm. are many of the things that you just talked about, right? So they can take many, many different forms. So, you know, depending on whether we're talking about a hospital, an integrated delivery system, whether we're talking about an independent physician organization, how that value based discussion shows up is going to be different. So if we are um, dealing with um, independent physician organization like a pro health locally here um, we're going to be working under the umbrella of our collaborative accountable care arrangements so our version of the ACO 
Um, mm-hmm. If we're negotiating and working with, um, you know, a, a hospital system, whether it's Yale or Harvard Healthcare, we have hospital-based collaborative models that um, also bring uh, value into the equation. So things like they need to um, earn their rate increases by demonstrating improvements in quality. So those are a couple of examples. Um, and we're also working on uh, bundle payment arrangements. You mentioned that um, in your question. And how do we start to uh, put some of these uh, procedures like a hip replacement or um, back, you know, back surgeries? How do we start to put some not only better affordability, but more predictability for the consumer and the employer who's uh, managing that plan around the cost of those procedures. So we are um, in the process of uh, standing up a, a bundled payment program for some of those orthopedic procedures, which is another form, if you will, of value-based uh, care. Yeah, I mean, maybe it is the, the almost the the ultimate form, right? That, that if you 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 identify, I guess, you know, centers of excellence, and and around those centers centers of excellence have episodic bundled payments isn't that almost the the pinnacle of of value-based reimbursements and value-based uh payments so certainly you know any model that achieves affordability predictability and simplicity is certainly the gold standard so i do agree with your notion of this bundled payment structure is definitely um in the the realm of the gold standard but i go back to um, you still need to have different models, right? Because not every provider is the same. Not every employer has the same tolerance levels for what types of programs they're willing to put in place. So, you know, one of the other things that we're always guided by is choice, right? We want to be able to provide choice. We want to be able to guide people to high-performing care. Um, but we also want to ensure that we're also providing the choice. So when you think about these bundled payment programs that we're setting up, um, it's not going to be a restrictive or a you know, narrow network as they're referred to. They're going to be a component of that broader network. Now we'll put in the right, uh, you know, plan designs and incentives and concierge to help guide people so that they're getting their care more often, make it easier and simple for people to get their care at, at these places. Um, but mm-hmm. in the day, um, if folks want to choose to get their care elsewhere, that choice will still be there for them, but it might cost them a little bit more money. Right, right. So, so steering through the benefit design to, to the the providers or the, those uh, the, those centers of excellence, if you will, where it's applicable. Um, I mean, I guess some sometimes Wendy, some people try to apply the "you get what you pay for" mentality to healthcare, and for me, the point is that's not really true in healthcare because um, because. In my mind, when you when you do something right in healthcare delivery, you do it right the first time. What you avoid is the waste, and there's a lot of waste, unnecessary spend in healthcare today. And so, you know, uh, w- w- when you engage with providers who are willing to engage in a in a very different, more meaningful, collaborative way, and and you know, take some risk in terms of outcomes and quality metrics. Um, um, and, and they've got a confidence that they've figured out how to do whatever it is that they're doing 
um, right the first time, right? And and mm -hmm. I just I guess I want to make that message, which is that you know this is this really is like a win-win-win situation when you can change this move to value and this identifying of, of providers who are uh, allowing or accepting at least some of their payment to be around the quality of the care that they deliver and the outcomes that it's a it's a it's a win yes for the for the employer and their insurance premiums it's a win for the insurance companies but it's also a win for the providers and for ultimately the, the members and the patients. And I don't want people to, to lose sight of that. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more with that. You know, here's the thing that I always, you know, I always like to find the places to be optimistic. You know, we sit down in these conversations and they're very different conversations with providers. Um, and they genuinely are on this journey with us. Right. They are not fighting us on moving to value based arrangements, actually just the opposite. Right. They want to be partners with us on this journey. Um, but it's hard. Right. It's hard for everyone. It's hard um, for them to also achieve those behavior changes within their own physician and you know, doctor's offices. So, um, you know, it, it is not as if the, the mindset is not aligned. We're very aligned from a mindset perspective. Um, so I'm very encouraged um, around the move to value here in Connecticut. I know that even in our um, ACO style arrangements, we are seeing lower trends coming from our um, ACO organizations than those that are not part of those arrangements. So the proof is in the pudding. It is working. Um, and yeah. we're going to continue to press hard on that journey. And it, it, again, I'm very encouraged because the providers are right there with us. They want to come along. Is that, Wendy, you and I have been in the business for a while now. And, and is that a, a, a relatively recent change, this idea of providers, you know, very willing and, 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 um, and really, you know, uh, happy to kind of come along this journey with you? versus maybe 20 years ago, maybe even 15, maybe 10, where you correct me if I'm wrong, where it kind of felt more adversarial and it was, it was just about kind of lobbing hand grenades back and forth at, at one another. Is this, is this a new world that we're in now? So, you know, I would say that the world is definitely uh, the pace. I'm feeling an increase in the pace um, for acceleration. Uh, you know, I'd say it's not new, new, if you, at least from a signal lens. I mean, we've, we set up our first um, ACO model over 10 years ago now. Um, you know, we have 650 of these arrangements now across the country. You know, I was there actually on the front line standing up the first one. Um, so it's, it's pretty amazing for me to see going from that one, you know, 10, little over 10 years ago to having now 650 of these across the country. So, um, you know, I don't think that the, the notion is new. Um, I think the pace is picking up. And, you know, I mean, again, we all, we all see it, right? It's all in the political debates, right? Cost of healthcare. I think we've reached a tipping point as a country. So we need to pick up the pace on, uh, on the value-based journey. Yeah, thinking about it now, it seems like maybe maybe 20, 25 years ago, we were really still just driving folks to a network-based product, right? When when HMOs and point-of-service plans started taking over for the traditional indemnity plans, and that 
that really controlled that 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 actually drove at one point as i recall <laughs> give me my my horrible memory but i remember at one point trends being pretty you know if you were going from an old ppo plan to to an hmo you know as an underwriter i might i might be so bold as to build a negative trend assumption in there and then we realized okay so we we had this that was good but now trends are back on the rise and and that's when I guess, you know, the, the carriers started realizing we need to really engage with these providers now, not just in terms of, okay, be part of our network and we're going to drive volume to you and we're going to pay you for volume, but mm -hmm. we got to start thinking about paying paying for performance. Yeah. So I would say, you know, there, there's, there's two other uh, stakeholders in that equation now. If we're really going to achieve the affordability objectives, it's the employer and the customer. So we also need the employer to come with us on this journey because they need to ensure that they're setting up the right plan designs, incentive programs, communications to ensure that they're encouraging individuals to shop for healthcare. Mm -hmm. Right? You made the comment earlier around this is the only industry where that cost quality equation doesn't actually line up. Um, so mm. you don't necessarily have to pay more for the same um, type of quality or sometimes even better quality, right? Cost and quality are not equal in, in the healthcare equation. Um, so we need the employers to be there with us on this journey and then the consumer. Um, you yeah. know, if you think about, right, we have this large increase in uh, consumer-directed health plans with large deductibles. Um, that was, you know, put in place, not necessarily to cost shift, but to give customers also, I'm going to say it, skin in the game, right? So that yeah. they're thinking about healthcare the way they think about other consumer products, right? Would you ever go into a, a store to buy a TV and not shop mm -hmm. around? Um, and I get it, right? Healthcare and TVs, they're different. Um, I, I absolutely understand that. But there are certain places in the healthcare system where consumers can um, be good shoppers um, in terms of where they get their labs done, um, or even from a pharmaceutical perspective, being able to see, oh, is it cheaper for me to go to the Walgreens or the CVS, or maybe a home delivery option. So there are ways in which uh, consumers also play um, a significant role. So I don't want to put this all on the backs of the providers. They are a, a very important member, if you will, of this journey, but we need employers mm -hmm. and we need consumers to also join us in this affordability journey. Great point. You mentioned that leads me to the member experience. Um, and you mentioned earlier, at least once, maybe a couple of times, this idea of making it simple, uh, you know, making mm -hmm. it easier. And I, I don't think traditionally health insurance and certainly with the um you know with high deductible health plans and and you know, as we tried to drive this consumerism for the, you know for the members it, it it still it wasn't as easy as the retail stores made it to compare to price shop and compare televisions to use your example it, it, it's still been historically a very complex uh, fragmented, overwhelming, scary world navigating the delivery system as well as the 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 insurance and the benefits. I think so. Mm -hmm. And subsequently, you know, I think health insurance it's it's 
people sometimes are insurance and they shudder a little bit and they think, oh boy. And traditionally the net promoter scores for health insurance companies have not been favorable, maybe, maybe even negative at one point in time. And so what, what's Cigna doing to improve and to simplify the member experience and to, and to help make it easier for them to be better consumers? Yeah, yeah. And this is another great example of a journey that we've been on for, you know, well over a decade. And we're going to keep um, investing significantly in this customer experience. So, you know, and again, I'll start with uh, something that I don't know that folks really know. So you talked about net promoter score and, you know, typically the health insurance companies are very low in the, in the net promoter score, or even negative. So uh, about four years ago now, we introduced uh, what we refer to as our one guide, which is our navigator, our concierge model, which includes everything from helping people to find care. So it has our transparency tools, so you can uh, you know begin to shop around cost and quality. Um, it has uh, information on how to earn incentives, um, just all sorts of information, or even just managing your your claims. You know, getting an ID card. You know. Uh, what I'll call sort of some of the basics around insurance. Our net promoter score for our one guide service model is a 70. Now, oh, again, wow. for those that, yeah, wow, exactly. So I know that yeah. there's a lot of these, um, you know, concierge services that are popping up, right, largely to fill the void that you just talked about. Um, mm. And they also tout net promoter scores that are similar to what I just mentioned. Um, but here's the really good news. Uh, you actually can get that at Cigna without losing the value of all of the other things that come with the Cigna integrated solution. Um, and, you know, again, at 70, I was just checking in with some of our folks around some of, you know, we try to benchmark ourselves not just against our industry, but against other retailers, right? Because again, folks with high deductibles, we're asking them to, in many ways, uh, shop like you do for other retail services, again, not lost on me, healthcare and TVs are very, very different. Um, but Zappos, one of my favorite retailers, um, a 70 is right in line with what Zappos is getting. So yeah. I feel like, again, that's, a, that's an incredible proof point, if you will, in terms of the progress we are making around that very, very important topic. So did you say, and for those who don't know, 70 is a great net promoter score, and um, we, we don't need to get into the specifics of what a net promoter score is, but but it, mm -hmm. it's, it is great. It, and was that, did you say, Wendy, for your members who have the one guide? Correct. Yeah. So, and yeah. that is our lead offering, right? So our lead offering is, is the one guide, which again, sits over the top of our fully integrated solution. So what the one guide is, um, it is our customer service concierge, which has a, um, so it's a, it's a live service. So if you call the 1-800 number on the back of your ID card, you will get a one guide um, advocate to walk you through your healthcare journey. It also has uh, a fully enabled app on your smartphone, because we know that that is uh, definitely the uh, the technology of choice, if you will, for uh, you know answering a lot of your questions around healthcare, um, and, you know, and that also includes a, a click-to-chat functionality. So it is both a live agent and a technology-enabled customer service model that sits mm. on top. And you know, one of the things that I love the most about our one guide model 
is it completely reimagines the whole notion of customer service, right? So Jeff, you and I have been in this industry a long time. <laughs> we know that service used to be measured by average speed of answer, right? Average hmm. um, handle time, right? Those were the metrics. It was like, pick up the phone quick, yeah. get them off the phone and move on. Um, right. Our one guy model is none of that. There is no time limit on how much time you spend with that individual who calls. We, um, we actually not only seek to answer the question that they called for in a way that, as we say, doesn't give them any homework. So if there is you know, a takeaway where they have to call their provider's office to understand a bill, we'll actually do that for them. And then we'll circle back with them when we've taken, taken care of that homework for them. But the other thing we do is we use it as a moment to engage with that customer, right? That said that they've called us and maybe had a question on a claim, we'll use that as a moment to say, hey, we've noticed you didn't have your flu vaccination. Or mm. if they're a diabetic and we've been trying to get them to engage in one of our diabetic coaching programs, we use it as a moment to say, hey, um, are you interested in this program? If you are, we will connect them in the moment if they have time to talk with a coach right then at that time. If not, we'll schedule a time right there so that it becomes a very actionable um, moment. So the, uh, we call it next best action. And those are very tailored to that individual. So when a service agent is engaging with a, a consumer, they will actually be getting pushed information that is relevant to that customer. What's the next best action for that customer? depending on uh, the information that we have um, surrounding that customer's needs. So that's been an incredible um, tool, solution. Again, we've had it, uh, we started piloting it about four years ago, rolled it out more broadly about three years ago, and now anytime you get um, a Cigna quote, it will absolutely include our, our one guide solution and uh, a very large percentage of our um, customers are, are utilizing um, that service model. That's great to hear where I was kind of getting at is traditionally folks would, you know, the, the, the traditional, uh, and I've got a long career in the carrier side and I, by no means do I need to be bashing carriers, but I mean, it used to be that you would call the member service line and it was just what you said. It was, you know, they, they were really, uh, you know, it was, it was going to be as quick a conversation as it could be. And if it was, it was anything more than something as simple as, you know, where am I within my deductible or is this provider in network or can you send me a new ID card? You probably weren't going to get a lot of what I would call now nav navigation through the healthcare system or advocacy. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like one, one guide is, is really doing those two things is really kind of helping folks navigate through the system. Yeah. You know, Jeff, the other thing that's really interesting and in what you just said is um, in this whole reimagining how we deliver service, we're also hiring very differently for those roles. Um, mm. So if you think about what you need to be able to be an effective guide, you need to have things like empathy. Right? You yeah. need to be able to be listening for what's going on in that moment. Is that person ready to engage? What else is going on in their household? Do you hear screaming kids in the background? All of that. And so we're hiring like school teachers, um, but just a very, very different profile mm. of what we're hiring today for our one guide agents than what we used to um, in our more traditional service model. 
uh, are, are you, maybe you don't want to share this, but, but are, are you doing, uh, when you're hiring, are you having applicants take like, uh, like assessments, uh, a predictive index or, or talent quest or something like that, where, where you're kind of identifying those character traits like empathy in people? Absolutely. So again, I don't have all the, the details of um, all of our hiring processes there, but you're spot on, right? The profile yeah. that we're looking for, the way we're interviewing, even the way we're training these folks. These folks are not hired and then put on the floor. They go through uh, weeks, maybe even months of training before we put them on the floor. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's. And great. the other thing, the other thing, you know, what actually the other thing that's uh, really cool about this model is the cultural uh, training. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, depending on the size of the employer, if we have a, a large um, employer, we will actually um, bring the employer, we'll connect them with the one guys that are gonna service their employee population so that they can understand a little bit more about the culture of that employer. So that when those folks are calling, not only are we giving them information around their signet benefits, but we're doing it in a way that feels culturally comfortable for them based on their employer. Now, you know, that's not going to be available for every 100 life group, but certainly, um, you know, a larger uh, group, you know, a large, um, yep. you know, regional or certainly national account. That's another thing that we brought into this model, which is, uh, again, I'll put it in the really cool factor. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree. I'll call. We'll call that cool. That's fine. <laughs> um, I don't want to let us end this conversation without talking about prescription drug costs, and mm. uh, it it's kind of been keeping a lot of people up at night for a long time now. And um, you know, we all know now Cigna uh, purchasing Express Scripts, and uh, I, I know you guys are working hard on this issue of pharmacy costs. So, what what's going on? What are you doing to try to tamp down the the pharmacy trends? Yeah. So, you know, part of the one of the key reasons why we made that acquisition of Express Scripts now about maybe 15 months or so ago was exactly for the reason you just stated. Pharmacy cost is a huge and, and a growing part of the medical equation. So we wanted to ensure that we had the best capabilities um, to be able to deliver on our overall you know, objectives for our clients and our customers out there. So when you take the combination, if you think about the combination, I, I mentioned earlier seven years in a row of leading medical trend. Well, ESI also had that same track record of leading pharmacy trend. Actually, it was just uh, looking at the cost report from the pharmacy cost trend report from uh, 2019, and um, the ESI pharmacy trend was um, at that CPI, le CPI level, so it was about 2%, um, and that was across all of their book of business. But if you looked at their more tightly managed plans, so again, we're employers are willing to be a little bit more restrictive on formulas and things like that, their trends were actually negative, right? So the power of the combination wow. of leading in medical and leading in pharmacy, um, that just sets us up with a really strong foundation. But, you know, our, one of the whole things behind the combination was really around making drugs more affordable for customers and clients. And you know, we're continuing to deliver, you know, just like I said, the basic, I'm going to call it basic blocking and tackling as it relates to this 
this trend, which by the way, we were able to achieve that last year in a combination year. So you know what it's like to be acquiring a big company and to be mm -hmm. able to still deliver on that industry leading trend during that year is certainly something to be incredibly proud of. Um, but at the same time, we also did some pretty um, innovative things to help drive that affordability. So two, two that I'll call out, one is our patient assurance program. So a patient assurance program uh, right now is focused on insulin-dependent diabetics. And we all know what's out there in terms of the high cost of insulin and these just terrible choices that people are making around, can I afford to buy my drugs, life-saving drugs, or you know, putting food on the table, paying my mortgage, et cetera. So patient assurance mm -hmm. program um, is that insulin will not cost a consumer more than $25. That's the patient assurance program, $25 cap on insulin drugs. And we were able to do that without shifting those costs to the employer, right? Because you're like, okay, well, who's paying the Delta? Uh, right. So we were able to combine our assets. We were able to work with drug manufacturers to be able to come up with a program that enabled us to be able to put this program out in the hands of our employers so that they could offer this type of assurance to their employees. So that's one example. Um, right now, like I said, it just patient assurance just covers the insulin-dependent diabetics. Um, but let's just say there's a lot of really smart people working on our next programs to be put under the umbrella of patient assurance. The other one is our Embark program, which is a financial protection program that gets at curative gene therapies. So these are these unbelievable uh, medical advancements that cure these rare diseases. So we're talking like childhood blindness, um, terrible muscular, um, you know, debilitating diseases. So these are not just treatments, but these are cures for these um, types of rare conditions. And as amazing mm -hmm. as these medical advancements are, I think we would also agree with the sticker shock on some of these treatments. I mean, some of them I think are definitely six figure, some of them even seven figure treatments. So yeah. we wanted to find a way to ensure that individuals had access to these life-saving, life-altering drugs without breaking the bank or bankrupting an employer, right, who you know, had one of these individuals in, in their population. So the Embark program was a very innovative approach to be able to provide that financial protection for a very small PNPM, you know, per member per month um, amount. Um, employers can buy this financial protection um, if an employee or dependent has this rare disease, that individual gets the drug at zero cost. And um, so what we've essentially created is this enormous pool that now everyone can um, participate and ensure that they're able to, for employers, cover these drugs, not have to lean away and not cover them, because some people yeah. were thinking about doing that. Um, and then the consumer. Um, has the ability to get access to these drugs, um, again, at a very affordable zero uh, cost. And, you know, yeah. we definitely, you know, we started with the rollout of this on the Cigna population, but the vision is not just to limit it to the Cigna population, right? This is what this combination was about. It was about driving affordability for as many people, not only here in the U.S., but around the globe. So we will be, um, you know, rolling out this program to be available uh, beyond the Sigma population. I want to make sure I'm understanding this correctly. Uh, yeah, I love sure. It. 
are you talking about are you talking Wendy about socializing or or capitating or whatever you want to call it the 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 cost of these super expensive but 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 life changing life saving drugs for is that is that what you're doing is that That's that's essentially what that's essentially what it amounts to, right? So if you yeah. think about how it normally would have worked before it was reimagined, you would have an employer who happened to have that individual in their population have that drug, and that employer would bear the full cost of that million-dollar drug, right? Mm. And we all know what that can do um, to that employer. In under this model, everyone pays a little bit every month. And if you happen to be that employer, because again, these are rare diseases, so every employer isn't going to have it. But if you happen to, um, as we say, win the unlucky lottery ticket, right, you could have this in your population, but you're protected for a little bit each month. um, You would have that financial protection. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's great. I, I, I love that. And, you know, um, I don't want to get political here. I am definitely not a socialist, but there are some instances where I think we, all, we, we should we should all kind of, you know, we we should all be willing and 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 very happy to kind of chip in a little bit, uh, you know, to to help save lives, you know, and to not right. just so that people don't go, companies don't go bankrupt, and individuals don't go bankrupt. And uh, I love that love that idea. Um. What about just one more thing on pharmacy? What about leveraging yeah. um, like manufacturer coupons or copay assistance programs such that the plan sponsor, the employer, and the member are are both benefiting from that? And and like, do you have programs that are that are leveraging the coupon, the whole coupon game? Yeah. So um, this was another great expanded uh, capability set that came with Express Scripts. So Acredo which is especially mm-hmm. pharmacy organization that sits under Express Scripts, which now sits under the Cigna family, has had a very significant uh, patient assistance program as it relates to some of these manufacturing coupons. Um, and their program was uh, set up in a way that um, was a win-win for everyone. Um, so the way in which it, you know, helps the consumer, um, the employer is not, um, you know, losing out on some of the deductibles where, you know, people maybe are getting their, are getting their coupon, but then they're not paying their deductible. And now right. the employer is coming in more. So um, this is one that is actually going to be coming online um, soon. So I'm still in the throes of learning a lot of the details, but very excited about our ability to be able to significantly expand um, the ability to use these manufacturing coupons in a way that becomes a win-win across the board. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, I, I we've gone almost an hour. It's been about so I, I I we should probably wrap up. I know you're super busy, but is there anything else that you wanted to talk about today we didn't touch upon? Any trends in the in the market, Connecticut, national? What anything else you you feel like we need to talk about right now? Yeah, I think we've we've covered a ton of ground. I mean, to your point, gosh, you can't believe this hour flew by. Um, You know, I think if if we go back to where we started, um, you know, Cigna is right there in the forefront working to ensure that um, our our customers, our clients and providers have what they need. 
during this unbelievable, unprecedented COVID crisis. And we're going to continue to do that, as I said earlier, continue to do the right thing as it relates to um, helping all of our stakeholders through this. Um, but at the same time, we're continuing to drive hard on what is really our number one initiative, which is driving greater affordability for our clients and customers, because that is what is needed in this country. You got it. Uh, absolutely. So thank you for all of the work you guys are doing on that on that front. It is so essential that we get our arms around this. And uh, so, you know what, Wendy, uh, every guest we have on the podcast, we end, we conclude with what we call our rapid fire session. So I asked five or six uh, questions. You didn't tell me this beforehand. <laughs> well, it would be cheating if we told you beforehand. <laughs> we want okay. to we catch you. Yeah, we want to catch you off guard here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, so we do this real quick. So, first answer that comes to your mind. You ready? I'm ready. Cats or dogs? Oh, definitely dogs. Favorite band? Favorite band. Okay. So let's see. Maybe I'd go uh, Maroon Five for something a little bit more modern. Um, but then I'm always I like a good Journey album. Mm-hmm. Look. Uh, I like you even more now than I did before. <laughs> if you had one yeah. superpower, Wendy, what would it be? So, you know, I've been asked that question before, and here's what I always say to that. It's not a superpower. Go back to your last question. I wish I could sing. I think at singing, and if I had one power, it would be to be able to sing. <laughs> Can I cheat a little right. bit and give you that as my superpower? That's for whatever you want. It's your superpower. Um, if you weren't doing what you do today, what would you be doing? Um, you know what? I love to uh, mentor folks, so I think I would probably be some kind of a, a coach uh, slash mentor for uh, young, aspiring. Uh, you know, I'm uh, also big with uh, female leadership, so I think yeah. I would probably be spending my time really coaching and mentoring um, high potential future women leaders. Lastly, Wendy, our theme this year at One Digital is being bold. We're, we're all about kind of being bold uh, this year in 2020. So tell me, what, what does that mean to you? What does being bold mean to you? So to me, being bold is leaning in to the problem as opposed to leaning away. Um, I just, to me, that's what being bold is all about is uh, driving the disruption, leaning into the problem, as opposed to, again, running away or, or leaning out from it. Love that. Thank you, Wendy, again, for joining us today. Really, really do appreciate you taking the time with everything going on and, and taking the time to talk to our listeners about what Cigna is doing in response to COVID-19, as well as uh, how you're supporting employers and, and members and providers year round and, and continue with that mission. Really, really do appreciate it. So thank you. Hey, everybody, if you like this episode, please leave a review. Uh, as always, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, make sure you do that. You want to be the first to know when the next episode drops. Thanks for tuning in. This has been another episode of Friends with Employee Benefits and HR.